Amen. 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 Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us this morning in worship. Appreciate you guys. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your Bible. So go ahead and pick out your Bible, your notepad, whatever you're using. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're a guest of ours, we're in a series of messages entitled Maximizing Moments. Reality is, and everybody's kind of got on board with this, as soon as you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you become a missionary. So you're saved by the grace of Jesus, and then you're catapulted right back out into the world to share Jesus Christ with other individuals. So that's our calling. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. So whenever you are involved in the mission, the Bible teaches that Jesus is with you in a very unique fashion. So he wants to use every single one of us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now what we want to do is make sure we're maximizing the moments that God has given to us as his missionaries to get into a gospel conversation, invite people to become followers of Jesus. Now what we've done on Sunday mornings is really got on the gospel bus, right? Y'all do remember this. We are all aboard on the gospel bus, right? And the wheels on the bus, they go where? Yeah, they go round and round, right? So what we've done is we've gone to Salvation City, and we've seen some doctrines about our salvation. We rode on the street that we called, and I love all the names, uh, Justification Junction. By grace, the moment you gave your heart to Jesus, the Bible says that God cleared you of all your guilt, and he considers you righteous. Now, that is a grace gift. At the same time, after we left that street, we jumped on Adoption Avenue. And adoption just teaches you and I that the moment you gave your heart to Jesus, that you were embraced by God as a son or a daughter. So he literally is our heavenly dad in uh, heaven. I just repeated heavenly dad in heaven. Can I get a witness on that? But anyway, but that's the case. So we've got this dad in heaven who's overseeing us, protecting us, providing for us. And then we rode down Sanctification Street. Sanctification begins as well at the moment of your salvation, but you partner with sanctification. That is, you submit yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God's role is to actually transform you into the image of Jesus Christ so that your character and your conduct reflect the Savior that you claim to follow. Now, what's unique as well through sanctification is that as you are being sanctified, the Lord is making you a more effective communication tool to those who are far from God. So again, that is all on the gospel uh, train or the gospel bus, all right? So here's the other thing. Today, we go down the very last road, all right? So we're going to look at uh, glorification highway. Glorification is an awesome, awesome can I stress it? Awesome doctrine that is promised to us in the scripture. And in a nutshell, here's what glorification is. God is going to, so it's future, God is going to make you as much like Jesus as you possibly can be without becoming God. God is going to make you as much like Jesus as you possibly can be without becoming God. That's glorification. And glorification also points to the fact that you and I are going to have brand new bodies that are fit for all of eternity. And glorification again, God is going to make you as much like Jesus as you possibly can be without becoming God. He's going to give you a brand new body fit for eternity. It reminds us that God's salvation, his grace, not only redeems our souls, but he's also going to redeem our bodies. Now, there are some awesome truths in the scripture about heaven and about Jesus coming for us and taking us back with him. In fact, Jesus uh, speaking to the disciples once said to them, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says this, in my father's house are many dwelling places. 
Real quick, y'all with me say amen? Uh, New American Standard says dwelling places. KJV says many mansions. Which one y'all want to go with? Yeah, let's go with mansions. All right. So he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But then Jesus says this to his disciples and to us. He says, but I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when I come back for you, I will take you to be with me forever. So this is a promise of Jesus. He is preparing a place for you and I in heaven. So we're going to talk about glorification today. And uh, man, hopefully it's going to be enough to cause you to want to dig more into the scripture to figure out what God has in store for you in the days ahead. Now, I've thought about this a whole lot. So here's kind of a way that I'm wrapping my mind around all four of these doctrines. Uh, Justification screams, I am forgiven. Adoption screams, I am family. Uh, Sanctification screams, I'm in fellowship with God as well as with you. And then glorification screams that I have a future. And that's what Paul the Apostle is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. So go ahead in your Bibles if you'll stand with me now of God's Word. Verse 50 is where we'll start. You've got it there in front of you? Say yes. All right, so the Bible says this. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word. May we now take it and put it into our hearts and really allow our minds just to be kind of uh, taken up with what you have for us in the future. And God, I pray that as this message is preached, that it is super clear that everybody leaves here understanding as followers of Jesus, there is a phenomenal future that we could not have even made up. God, this is so grand. Help us to uh, sink our teeth into the reality and the doctrine of glorification. And we'll give you glory for not only this day, but all of eternity. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. So what's true about our future? A few things you want to jot these down in your listening guide. First of all, our future requires a brand new body. Our future requires a brand new body. Now, I'm going to tell you, like, growing up, uh, there have always been places where I have been where I had to dress appropriately. I just remember, you know, playing t-ball. They hooked us up with a uniform for the games. So if you wanted to play on the field during the game, you had to wear a uniform. I remember in high school, I played basketball. In high school, I was six foot four. I still am six four. I weighed 145 pounds. And at this particular time, ninth and 10th grade, uh, long shorts had not become popular yet. So I was wearing super short shorts. Are y'all down with me? Say yes, amen. All right, all I can say is it looked ridiculous, all right? It's like a a Q-tip running is what it was. Super embarrassing. But if you saw my powerful legs now, 
I'm just kidding. No, you still wouldn't be impressed. But anyway, so, uh, but I remember I had to wear that uniform in order to play. I remember getting married when Chris and I got married. I didn't come with, you know, uh, a tank top on and some cut off blue jeans. I had to come with a tuxedo on. I had to dress for the occasion. Well, here's the thing. God has a place for me. All right. So I'm talking to you from my perspective. I gave my heart to Jesus and now Jesus has promised I have a home in heaven. But Jesus wants me to be dressed appropriately. Here's what Jesus says to me, and the scripture teaches, I can't wear this body. I've got to have a brand new body that he has to give to me. All right, so I need this new body. And uh, that's what the scripture says here in verse 50. It says, I say this, uh, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Now, you notice that little phrase, flesh and blood. That just describes your earthly body. Now, the question is, why can't these bodies go into heaven? I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, why can't these bodies enter into glory and be with the Lord forever? Well, it's pretty simple. It's because these bodies have been tainted by sin. And because of sin, we see this even in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened is that death entered into the world. And so as a result, now, every person born on the planet is actually born dying. That's encouraging, isn't it? But every single one of us are going to die. For the wages of sin is death. So every single one of us have this coming. Now, if you can kind of imagine it like this, right? If you have a rose bush at your house, and you go and clip off a rose from that rose bush, as soon as you remove that rose, that rose is dead. Although that rose looks pretty slick, doesn't it? You can put it in water, and it's still pretty. But it, give it a few days. A few days later, all of a sudden, those petals are going to begin to wilt. It's going to begin to turn a different color. They're going to fall off. And then eventually, uh, the reality of death is going to occur, and you're going to see it with your own eye. Well, check this out. As soon as you and I are born, you and I are already separated from the one true life source who is God. And that's why we are daily dying. We are going closer to our death every single day. Matter of fact, just think about your bodies for a moment, especially some of you guys who are older than uh, I am. You know, women say yes. But anyway, so if you're a little older, have you realized it's not as easy to get up in the morning as it used to be? Have you realized whenever you look into the mirror, uh, things don't look like they used to? I'm just, yeah, you want me to keep on preaching, all right? And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the flower, isn't it? There's a wilting occurring. <laughs> and I'll just stop there. But you get the point, right? So that's, that's happening. You're, you're dying. It's because of sin. And so these bodies aren't fit for eternity, so we have to have new bodies. And God promises us through the process of glorification to give us a new body. In fact, you want to jot that down. Uh, point number two this morning is that God is going to give us a new body. God's going to give it to us. So you don't have to come up with one. You don't have to fix one. Uh, God's going to hook you up with one. Look at verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Uh, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now, I bought an eyeball for a moment, all right? Because this is pretty interesting what's happening here in this text. Paul the Apostle says we're not all going to sleep. Now, this literally is a uh, metaphor for death. All right, and this is often used in uh, Jewish language as well as the Greco-Roman world. Uh, so they would use the word sleep to describe the state of death. And so what he's saying here is that we will not all die, but we will all be changed. Now this is interesting. What do you mean we won't all die? We have, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to die in order to get a new body. So what, what's the story here? What's going on? Well, Paul is actually pointing to a time in uh, the prophetic future when Jesus will come back as he promised. Remember, he said, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to come back for you. So when Jesus comes back for us, there are going to be some of us who have not died yet. So when Jesus comes back for the New Testament church, 
And the church uh, is basically described of, as all of those who have given their heart to Jesus from Acts chapter 2 until today. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God took up residence in people's lives, and that's when the church started, and then all the way till today. So all of those individuals who have given their heart to Jesus are a part of the church. Jesus is coming for the church. So whenever Jesus comes, not everybody's going to be dead. And so as a result, Paul says, don't worry about it because we will be changed. And that word changed there literally means to be altered or to be made brand new. And so this is a promise that the Lord gives to us. And he kind of talks to us about how it's going to roll out as well in verse 52. Look at your Bible. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So there's that word again, we will be changed. All right, now this is pretty wild. Paul says that this particular concept of you receiving a brand new body, you being changed, is going to happen in the quickest uh, moment of time that you can possibly fathom, in the twinkling of an eye. So you and I can't even mentally compute how quick that is. But he makes a promise here in the text of Scripture that the dead will be raised first, and then all of those who are alive in Jesus will be quickly changed. Now, come here for a second, because I, I need you to make sure we're all on the same page for just a moment. All right, now, when a follower of Jesus dies today, what happens to them? And I, I'll talk to you from, uh, again, my perspective. So I had an older brother, Lance, who died. I was five, he was seven. So he knew Jesus, though. So he had a relationship with the Lord. Uh, he gave his heart to Jesus when he was young, but he died of a brain tumor. Whenever Lance died, what happened to him? Well, Lance's body was buried in Jessup, Georgia. You can go there now, you can see his gravestone. So that's where his body is. But the moment he died, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So eyeball to eyeball, everybody looking at me real quick. You know what's awesome about this? As soon as my brother died, although his body was put into the ground, the Bible says his soul is now with the Lord. That's pretty awesome. Now, what does that look like? Uh, I'm going to put it in the category of I have no idea. Some people argue that we receive temporary bodies until the resurrection day. Some people argue that we are spirits with the Lord. I'm not real sure how all that plays out. But if I die, I'll let you know. <laughs> that was pretty funny, I thought. But anyway, so, so he, he's dead. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says the last trumpet is going to sound. Jesus is going to come for the church. And this is what we call uh, the rapture or the great catching up of the church. So Jesus comes in the clouds for us. Now, if he comes while I am still alive, then my brother Lance is going to be raised up with a brand new glorified body meeting his soul in the air to be with the Lord forever with that new glorified body. Now he's first because all of those who are dead in Christ are first and then I will go up as well following that resurrection and receive a glorified body fit for eternity. I will be quickly changed. Now it took me like you know, two minutes to share with you how all that was going to go down. But the Bible says it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So here's what I thought we would do this morning. thought we would, uh, to clarify this and kind of put everybody on the same page as well, we would kind of uh, have some church participation. Y'all ready for that? Say amen. All right. That was three of you. All right. So church participation. So what I want to do is kind of divide you guys into two categories. I've got one category over here on the left, uh, one category over here on the right. Okay. So you guys over here, y'all are all going to represent uh, dead people, all right? So y'all are, are dead 
in Christ. So you're followers of Jesus, but you're dead. All right, y'all down with that? You're not supposed to say anything, you're dead. All right, so here we go. All right, on this side over here, you guys are all followers of Jesus, and you are alive. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys are dead. All right, so here's, so here's what I'm going to... I don't know why I stress that. But anyway, so... What I need you to do is be dead for a moment, all right? So your eyes are closed right now. Nobody's looking around. Just you guys. All of y'all, y'all are alive. All right, y'all look at all these dead people. Isn't it sad? Some of y'all are like, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> now, I'm going to read to you what Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as I read it, you're going to act it out, all right? You guys are dead, so if you're looking at me on this side, you're not supposed to be. Here's what Paul says. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Fallen asleep, that's the dead people, that's you. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, that's you guys, say amen, amen. until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That's all the dead folk. For the Lord himself, here's where it gets awesome, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. No, 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 no. Y'all sit down. Y'all <laughs> Y'all still ain't got your good bodies. You're like, I think I'm going to get on up right here. Sorry, when I, when I read that part, you guys are dead. You're supposed to, y'all are rising first. Y'all go back to dead. <laughs> this is it. Some of y'all are sleeping anyway, so <laughs> just go ahead and uh, keep doing what you're doing. All right, here's what the Bible says. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Booyah, there they are. Now, now listen to what, y'all be excited about it. Okay, not too excited. We're, we're Baptists still. Just kidding. All right, so then he goes on and he says this. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I don't even remotely believe you guys. Y'all are like, yes, we are. Praise the Lord. Hey, hey, that's how it's going to go down. And... Uh, when it, go, when it, I promise you, when it does go down, you're not going to act like you just acted there. You're going to go absolutely crazy, man, because you're going to have this brand new body that's fit for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. You guys be seated for a second, if you will. Now, let's talk a little bit about your glorified body. Y'all are with me? Amen? Y'all have never done that in church before. You're like, this is crazy. Here's what one commentator says about our new bodies. He says, just as our earthly bodies are suited for life on earth, our resurrected bodies will be the same for life in heaven. We will have form and solidity to the touch, yet with no hindrance to travel. We'll be able to enjoy food, but will not be driven to it by necessity for nourishment nor fleshly desire. And like Moses and Elijah, we will be able to bathe in the glory of our maker in the fellowship of his dear son. We'll be glorified with Christ. And that glory will extend to the bodies we will inhabit. What an awesome truth this is. You got a new body coming, man. If you know Jesus, you got a new body fit for eternity. God has it in store for you. Look at verse 53. Again, two categories of people. He says, for this perishable must put on imperishable. That's one category. Those are those who have already died in Christ. They must have imperishable bodies given to them for eternity. Imperishable bodies are bodies that will not perish Y'all like that great definition, amen? All right, there you go. Now, notice the second phrase there in verse 53. This mortal must put on immortality. Now, those uh, literally are individuals who are alive whenever Jesus returns. So as followers of Jesus, we got this awesome promise from the Lord. 
that you and I have to have a new body for eternity. And God, by the exertion of his own power, is going to give you a brand new body. In fact, uh, there's an awesome text of scripture in the book of Philippians that teaches this, which I will find later. Y'all with me? Say amen. All right, it is good though. It says our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a savior, Christ Jesus the Lord, who will change this normal temporary body into a body likened unto his. What an awesome truth that is, man. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, just so everybody knows, the whole chapter is dealing with the resurrection of the dead. Because there were people in that particular day who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Even some who became followers of Christ were getting a little bit confused. And Paul was like, hold on. The resurrection of Jesus is a foreshadowing of the resurrection of our lives. If Jesus has not been raised bodily, then we of all people should be pitied. Our faith is empty, but because Jesus was raised up bodily, you can know for a fact that you as a follower of Jesus as well will experience a bodily resurrection. An awesome concept. Whenever you look at Jesus' body, you get a little insight into what your glorified body is going to be like. So let me give you a last little point here. Our new bodies, new bodies, they're going to be victorious. Look at verse 54. The Bible says, but when this perishable will have put on imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Now, as followers of Jesus, you and I no longer have to fear death. However, death is still a reality. We still experience it. Many of you know loved ones in your life who have died, maybe even recently. So you know death is a reality. But the reality of what this scripture is teaching is that in the days ahead, death will be absolutely swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. This is an awesome picture. Listen, if you swallow something up, it's because you are stronger than that thing. And the Bible teaches that death is going to be swallowed up. Verse 56, look at it. The sting of death is sin. That just means sin brought about death. And then the power of sin is the law. That's just a phrase that basically means the law brought the knowledge of our sin to the forefront of our lives. As a matter of fact, Paul even says, I would not have known sin had it not been for the law. But then he realized sin's sinfulness whenever he peered into the law of God. And then he also makes a promise that the law of God is written on the hearts of all men. So no man is without excuse. So everybody understands the reality of their sin, even if they've never seen a Bible. Because they know instinctively, God wrote it on their hearts, what sin is. They know murder's wrong, adultery's wrong, stealing's wrong, lying's wrong. How do they know that if they've never seen thou shalt not lie? Because God put it on their hearts. And it cries out to them that they are guilty of their sin. And death is looming. Death is coming for all sinners and will take them for all of eternity. But not those who've come to Jesus. That's why I love the verse. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So real quick, eyeball to eyeball. The only way you get a glorified body is by trusting in Jesus today. The only way you're promised a home in heaven is by trusting in Jesus today. The only way you have this great promise that you will be, check this out, seated with Christ in the heavenlies is if you trust in Jesus today. 
Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but let me also say to you, I am the way there. I am the truth and I am the life. And no man comes to God the Father but through me. So Jesus isn't like this other option on a page filled with several. He is the only option. And if you choose not to trust in Jesus, then you are sealing your own fate to be separated from God forever in hell. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus teaches. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, grace is given. And, gra- and can I say it like this? Grace abounds, man. Love this idea of grace. When I study uh, the New Testament and really study about uh, salvation, there are at least a few things that fall out. Uh, One thing that falls out is I know, according to Scripture, that there was a time frame uh, where it talks about my salvation where I have been saved. I have been saved. It's a past tense. I can look back at a day in my life where I realized I was a sinner, turned from my sin, and trusted Jesus. So I can talk to you today and I'll be like, yeah, man, I have been saved. So I can point back. But as I continue to read the New Testament, you know what else I've discovered? Not only have I been saved, but I'm being saved. The Bible says I'm being saved over the power of sin. So every single day through the process of sanctification, God is, by His grace, saving me from the power of sin. Which, by the way, I don't overcome sin in my flesh. Can't do it, man. I can only overcome sin by the power of His grace in me. So his grace saved me, and his grace is saving me. It's an ongoing process. Y'all with me say yeah? All right, but then I also know, according to Scripture, there's a future day coming where I will be saved. And that's the day when Jesus comes for the church, and the bodies of those who have died in Christ will be raised up to meet their soul in the air, and those who are alive will also be quickly changed, and forever we shall be with the Lord. And just so you're kind of aware, this is all, y'all with me say yes? Because it's a pretty awesome truth. As soon as we're uh, raptured up to be with Jesus, uh, the Bible teaches here on earth that there'll be a seven-year tribulation, but you and I will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And then we will give an account for our lives, for how we served the Lord, how we were involved in his mission, and we will receive rewards or we will suffer loss as a result of our lives. Then there'll be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Which is a wow. Mary said, the Lamb is Jesus. I'm telling y'all too much, but this is awesome. But when the marriage supper of the Lamb goes down, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, Jesus gets up and serves us. Like, what? No, you sit down, Jesus. We'll serve you. That's what Peter said, wasn't it, when Jesus started trying to wash his feet? No, 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 don't wash my feet. <laughs> Are y'all listening to me preach a little all right, I need to come back to where we are now. Y'all still with me? I started thinking about all that. I think I'm going to preach a series on the end times coming in uh, November. So I'm pretty, pretty fired up about that. Here's the thing, though. When you study the glorified body, uh, there are some truths about the glorified body that begin to kind of uh, stand out, which are pretty amazing. Uh, one commentator says, we get a glimpse of our resurrection bodies, what they'll be like whenever we look at Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. He had visible wounds. His disciples could physically touch him, yet he traveled effortlessly, and he appeared and disappeared at will. Y'all listening? The disciples were hanging out one time in a room with all the doors shut, and they're all talking to each other. It's in the Gospels. They're all talking to each other, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Where'd you come from? It was after his death, his burial, and his resurrection had already occurred. Jesus just came in. The Bible says they didn't even open any doors. 
Y'all know what that means? That means whenever we get to heaven, I got the ability to sneak up on you. Scriptures informs us that our lowly bodies will be just like his glorious body. Just like his glorious body. I mean, I, I think about Jesus at the ascension, right? So after his resurrection, 40 days, and then he ascended into the heavens, and the disciples are sitting there watching him. But it wasn't like, oh, like a long time for him to send it. No, I mean, it's just like, there he is. That's the body the Lord has prepared for you as well. Now, here's the thing. Every single one of these realities of our salvation, when we go down, you know, to Gospel City and we look at all four of the streets, all of them are by the grace of God. Nobody earns their justification as grace. Nobody earns their adoption as grace. Nobody earns their sanctification as grace. Nobody earns their glorification as grace. And, and grace means you did nothing to deserve it. None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us deserve to have a glorified body. None of us deserve to sit with Jesus by God the Father. None of us, nobody in this room has the right to go. Nobody. N none of us are slick enough to enter in. Because God, by his grace, looked down upon this earth and chose to save us. He brings us into this awesome thing called salvation. And then by his grace, he shapes us. And then by his grace, he glorifies us. And then by his grace, he gives us a place in heaven. And nobody there is going to be like, man, I got it going on. You know how I got here? Nobody. All we'll be able to do is praise Jesus for eternity. Now, when I think through this, theologically and then practically, if I know this is a future for me, what does that mean for me now? For me now, it magnifies what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God, present your... Okay, the word is bodies, all right? So, therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable act of service and worship. So it's like this body can't go into heaven, so what do I do with it now? Give it over to Jesus fully, all in. Pretty crazy, isn't it? Because none of us, again, deserve any of this. This is why you and I, as followers of Jesus, don't want to hold this message in like we just were so ashamed of it. No. Why are you ashamed of this? I love Paul, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all of those who will believe. So you've got this gospel truth in your life. Justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. You have this amazing grace. And now the Lord's like, go tell people. Go tell them. If you get away from the mission of going and telling, then you're getting away from God. That's the mission. That's why we've been encouraged to uh, learn how to share Jesus using one verse. Haven't we? 
So I've got it here for you on the board. All right, Romans 6, 23. I'm going to give this to you. Let's read it out loud together if we can. All right, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And whenever you came in, you should have received. If you didn't, you can get some as you head out. But should have received some of these little business cards. These business cards are basically that verse on the top. And it shows you a very simple way to share Jesus with somebody. So you can do this at school. You can do this at work. You can do this wherever you're playing your activities throughout the week. Softball, basketball, whatever it is. But whenever I go to share the gospel with somebody, we've got to get into the conversation first. Simple way to do that, just ask somebody where to go to church. Regardless of how they respond, your response can always be the same. Church is important, but not the most important thing. Most important thing is what's going to happen to you when you die. All right, so let's, let's practice that for a second, all right? So I'm going to ask you guys what church you go to, and y'all all say Concord, all right? Hey, uh, what church y'all go to? Yeah, church is important, but not the most important thing. Most important thing is what's going to happen to you when you die. All right, now y'all look at me. I'm going to ask you guys what church y'all go to. You say, we don't. Hey, guys, what church y'all go to? Yeah, well, church is important, but not the most important thing. Most important thing is what's going to happen to you when you die. Y'all see how that rolled out? So this is how we get into the gospel conversation. Listen, God wants to have a relationship with you. But if you see this massive space between you and God, that space is there because of sin. And the Bible says for the wages, and I just jot the word wages in that first little box there, wages, that's what you earn. The wages of sin. So all your hard work of sinning, you receive wages, a payment, a paycheck as it were, and that paycheck is made out to you in the amount of death. And death is described in the scripture as eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. That's where people are going in our community without the Lord. They're going to hell. And we can't just kind of dance around that and act like it's not a big deal. We can't dance around that and be like, yes, I believe in everything you're talking about, Levi. But then not tell anybody. It makes no sense. I'm preaching a little bit. Y'all all right? For the wages of sin is death, but I love this, but the gift, a gift is something that you don't earn, it's given to you. Who's this given to us by? God is, what's your Bible say? Say it out loud. Eternal life. So there's this great gift, eternal life, and God wants to give that to you. So how does he do that? It's given to us in Christ Jesus the Lord, which is when I basically would draw a cross here. And I would just put Christ or Jesus there or both. The Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to the earth. He lived a sinless life and Jesus went and he paid the penalty of my sin, which was death. Jesus died for me in my place. Then he was buried. Three days later, what happened? Somebody say it out loud. Yeah, yeah, he got up, right? He got up from the dead, resurrected bodily. So there it is, resurrection. Now the thing about this, by the way, uh, just since we kind of uh, threw this out here, whenever we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's pretty important. Had Jesus not gotten up from the dead, why would we even listen to what he said? His resurrection validates everything that he ever taught, everything that he ever preached, everything that he ever said. But also his resurrection is a foreshadowing of ours. Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. Y'all still with me saying yes? So all you must do in order to receive this gift of eternal life is turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ. Turn is just a fancy word or a simple word rather for repentance. It's turning from your sin, repenting, change of direction, change of mind, change of heart, change, and then trust. That's just a word for faith. 
faith in Jesus. In other words, I'm saying, I believe Jesus died for me, for my sin on the cross. I believe that. I'm believing that he died for me. I'm believing that he got up from the dead, and I'm choosing to become a follower of his. Whenever you do this, what happens is you realize that Jesus just built a bridge to connect you to God. Apart from Christ, you'll stand before the Lord one day and give an account of your life and then be cast into hell. But through Jesus, you'll stand before God one day and you won't stand there trying to convince him to let you into heaven. He will see in your life the righteousness that was imputed, given, infused into your heart and life the moment you gave your heart to Jesus. His righteousness. He sees his righteousness in you, not yours. His. So I share this and then encourage you to uh, go do the same. Go share Jesus this week. Now, eyeball to eyeball, all right? I'm finished preaching, but you got to keep looking at me for a second. Some of you are here today, and you have not made this decision. Some of you are here today, you've not trusted Jesus. You may have grown up in church. You may have heard some churchy words. You may have even heard some of the stuff I've been talking about. But you've never genuinely trusted Christ. Well, listen, today is the day of salvation. And the only reason you haven't fallen into hell yet is because God is overwhelmingly patient. The Bible says he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. Some of you need to respond now before it's too late. Quit playing around. Quit putting it off. Quit saying maybe later. Today is the day of salvation. You hear him calling, do not harden your heart. You don't get smarter, bro. You get harder. You keep rejecting him, you will find yourself rejected by him. But you receive him, and he receives you. <laughs> Let's bow. Father, speak to hearts even now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. You're here today, and you say, Levi, I need to give my life to Jesus. Well, look, you can do it right where you are. Just pray something like this. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I admit that. That's it. You want to give your heart to Christ? Here it is. Just pray. Pray. Lord, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I can't save myself. So today I'm turning from my sin and I'm placing my full trust in you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And today I choose to follow you. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed this morning. You say, Levi... Man, I just prayed with you and just gave my life to Jesus. Well, look, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd love to be praying for you. So if you're here today and you say, Levi, that was my prayer, do me a favor and just look at me real quick. You say, Levi, I just prayed with you and gave my life to Jesus. Keep looking at me. You looking at me, bro? All right, keep looking. Takes me a minute to get all the way through. Ma'am, you staring at me back there? God bless you. You keep looking as well. Look at me real hard. Coming all the way around. Coming all the way around. Keep looking. Keep looking. God bless you, man. I see you back there. Appreciate that. You're looking at me. God bless you as well. All you guys who are looking at me, listen, here's the first step of obedience. If you meant business with God, is to be baptized. In just a moment, we're all going to stand to our feet. We're going to begin to sing. I'm going to invite you to do the exact same thing I invited 
others to do in our early service, and that's leave the place where you've been seated, and you come right down here to the front. I'll be here. All I want to do is pray for you. We'll set you up a time to be baptized in the days ahead, all right? So you be bold, and you come as we sing. Father, we give you this time and the invitation. Give those boldness who've responded. I'm so fired up about their decision. And God, I thank you this morning that others will be as well. So put your hand on this invitation, and we'll give you glory for it. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You come this morning. If God's called you, you come.